How's it going, guys? Good evening. Week one of the NFL season has come and gone. Week two is fast approaching with the Minnesota Vikings going into Lincoln Financial Field in a mere two hours or so for the Eagles' home opener. Plenty to discuss, lot to unpack from the first week of the NFL season. And your boy is solo today. This is the ESA with Buck and Ben. What's up, guys? Welcome in. We appreciate you listening, as always. We appreciate all the feedback, all the follows, all the critiques. Those are all a privilege. And we hope to do you proud. And Buck, I hope to do you proud today. Like I said a minute ago, your boy is solo. Ben is here alone today. Going to try to tread water and keep this show afloat for a week or two. Buck's living it up in Bristol. Man, I miss you, brother, but I'm going to try to do you proud. But what a week one it was. Some upsets. Some surprises. Just an awful, awful grouping of of information and, and of injuries and and some statements made as well. Some statements made. We'll get into all of it. And I am ready to fill this hour with fantasy, with bets. We're going to get into my discussion on, on how I feel about how, how the week went. I mean, let's get right into it. You know how it starts out. Ben's first and 10. Number one. Well, you have, I apologize, I'm a little lost for words here for a moment, but let's make it relatable for everybody. So everyone's been in relationships before, right? We've all been in relationships. Sometimes you give up a lot to get somebody that you really like. You really fell in love with this person. You give up a lot to get them. They don't quite fit you. They don't quite fit you, but you feel like this person could be a huge benefactor to to your well-being, to your success. It's not a perfect fit. People are telling you it's a fluke. People are telling you it won't work out. You don't listen. You turn the blind eye and you get with this person. Okay. Two months in, you realize, whoops, I made a mistake. I don't want to be with this person anymore. And now I'm stuck with this person. So what am I going to do? I'm going to start going behind their back. Maybe not even going behind their back, seeing other people in front of them, talking bad on social media about them. Okay. But it's a toxic, toxic relationship. You kind of have no choice but to ride it out for the time being. And then you find out that the woman down the street just got out of an 18-year marriage. She's mature. Oh, man, she's good looking. She's been through the block, and she knows what she's doing. And on top of all that, she wants you. So... Absolutely. You're getting off that immature 22-year-old and you're getting to the 18-year marriage woman. She just left it. She's looking for something new, looking for a fresh start. Man, what a relationship, what a pairing that would be. And you get her, you get her. You put in the work and you make it happen. And now she's yours. And man, both sides are happy. You're happy. She's glowing. Everything seems like it's paradise. Honeymoon phase. Times a million. And finally, it gets time for some serious business. And just just as quickly as you got this woman, she's gone. She vanishes. Heartbreak ensues. And you're left with no other choice but to call that ex. 
Hey, I- I'm sorry I talked bad about you to the media. Talked bad about you on social media. I'm sorry I blatantly disrespected you and blatantly told everybody that you were not good enough for me. I'm sorry, but right now, I need you. I don't know where else to turn. I have no other option. I need you. And unfortunately, that is the predicament that the New York Jets are in. As great as the Aaron Rodgers signing was, or trade, excuse me, as great as the honeymoon phase seemed, as poetic as his debut at home in New York, Monday Night Football on September 11th, should have been, it all vanished within the snap of a finger. And the Jets have no other choice but to make Zach Wilson their boo again. You can't go get Kyler, okay? Buck and I discussed this. He's big on Kyler. You can't go get Kyler. Kyler's 50 mil per year. You can't afford that. You're paying Aaron a ton. Quinn and Williams just got the bag. You can't afford Kyler, okay? You need to roll with Zach Wilson. He's still making pennies on the dollar. I mean, you want to go sign Wentz? Do you want to go kick the tires on Matt Ryan? I don't know. But you can't get Kyler. That's what I do know. You probably can't get Stafford even if you made a substantial trade, which I don't see that. But that's more likely than Kyler. But what what a deflating feeling for the New York Jets. And I think for all football fans, whether you like, love, or hate the guy, he provided some phenomenal moments, phenomenal content, and intrigue, and interesting play, and interesting press conferences, and interesting life on and off the field for almost two decades. And now he's gone. And I certainly hope it's not the last time we've seen him, but it'd be tough for him to come back. Now, he says he will rise again on Instagram. I love that mentality. I hope so, Aaron. But if it is the last time we've seen you, thanks for the memories, man. One of the greatest of all time. Number two. Have we underestimated Sean McVay's coaching ability? Okay, I had this I had the Seahawks blowing out the Rams in week one. I had the Rams bottoming out and grabbing the number one pick. But Sean McVay had other plans that I did not have. Okay. Sean McVay had Matt Stafford throwing the 2-2 Atwell and Puka Nakua. Okay? Sean McVay had Kyron Williams running for two touchdowns. Okay. Sean McVay had a young defense besides Aaron Donald teeing off on Geno Smith, making him uncomfortable for the entire three hours of that football game. And Sean McVay got his team an easy win in week one, where I was thinking an easy win the other way. Yes, he's known for his offensive mind, but Sean McVay is, dare I say, nearing the elite head coach category. That was an impressive win. They got the 49ers at home coming up. We'll have to see. 49ers look damn good too. But goodness gracious, we don't want to overreact. And that'll be a constant theme of this episode. It already is of the podcast. But man, Sean McVay, that was with the new pieces, with the subpar offensive weapons, what a week one in division against a rival. Classic head coaching win there. That was a coaching win. Number three. You know what? Let me give you some stats. Okay. Let me give you some stats for this man. Okay. This quarterback has around 15,000 yards for his career, 89 touchdowns, 43 interceptions. That's over a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. And he's 53 and 21. That is a 71 and a half winning percentage record as a starter. 
Okay. This guy's name is Jimmy Garoppolo, and he grabs the week one win with the Raiders over a hyped up Broncos team with the new head coach uh, in Denver, mind you. Goes into mile high and stuns Sean Payton in Sean Payton's debut and Jimmy G's debut in black for, for what it's worth. But all Jimmy G does is win. We can't, I can't state it. I mean, I can't sugarcoat it. You know, that's what he does is he wins. He did it in New England when he got the opportunity. He did it in San Francisco. Regardless of what you want to say about his injuries, regardless of what you want to say about, you you know, how his play looks on the field, the aesthetics of it. It's not the prettiest ball. It's not the most fluid running. It's not the most accurate passes, the most efficient offense. It, It doesn't matter. The man wins. And he has some pretty solid career stats to go along with all that winning. We, we, underestimate Jimmy Garoppolo, I think. And no, he's not a top 10 guy, but he's in the top half of the league. If you want consistent quarterback play and a great shot, over 70% shot to win your football game, Jimmy G is the way to go. One could do a lot worse, and that's why he continues to get jobs in this league. Number four. I said it a minute ago, and I'll say it again now, and I'll say it again later on in the episode. Let's not overreact. And I want to point out three specific things to not overreact about, because there were some ugly things. But here's three of them I'm not overreacting about, and you should not either. First one, Lamar's sloppy week one game. Don't overreact, okay? You got Todd Munkin, new offensive coordinator, installing a new system. You got new pieces on the outside. You don't have your security blanket in Mark Andrews. J.K. Dobbins goes out in the second quarter with an injury. That's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts for the guy to handle. Yeah, he didn't look great. I'm not worried about him moving forward. I'm, I'm not. I mean, he gets Cincinnati in week two and... I think that's a smash spot, smash spot for Lamar and company. Um, losing J.K. is big, but you know, unfortunately, J.K. is one of those guys that isn't typically in there on a consistent basis anyway. Um, so Lamar will be fine. This offense will be fine. Zay Flowers looks like a star, as we predicted on this show. Bateman got some targets. Odell. Didn't do much on offense, but he got a couple good catches. And I believe he will only continue to improve with that. Look for Lamar Jackson to bounce back in week two. Put up some great numbers against Cincinnati. And potentially, potentially put the Bengals at 0-2. Uh... The second thing we don't want to overreact about, the Eagles' close call in Foxborough. First of all, it was raining cats and dogs. It was pouring over there, okay? You're at home. You have the Tom Brady celebration. I'm sorry. You're on the road. You have the Tom Brady celebration, okay? Fans are fired fired up. Belichick's been preparing for Hurts all offseason. You got injuries. You got a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, and yeah, it looks sloppy. But guess what? The Eagles got the dub. You need to win football games in this league. And at the end of the day, the team won the football game. Tonight, they go home. They get the Vikings. Much different defense. Got some more injuries on, on, on the Eagles side of the ball on defense. But I'm not overreacting. You should not either. With the Eagles winning close against the Patriots. I said they had had the potential to lose. So the fact that they didn't lose, the fact that they found a way to get it done in a gritty, rainy game, we'll take that. We'll take that. And uh, we're not going to overreact on how they looked. Let's give them a week or two to gel. And the third thing I'm not overreacting about is Cleveland's beatdown on Cincinnati because they did wallop them. 
Burrow was gone midway through the fourth quarter. Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett made a great play. Get to him in a moment. And Cleveland looked like they had control and command on all three phases of the game. Offense, defense, and special teams. Cincinnati looked like a mess. They looked like a team that got no reps with their starting quarterback all through preseason because that's what happened. And I'm not going to overreact. How many times has Cincinnati came out the gate slow since Burrow's time? Uh, Every year, I believe. They're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. They're still the cream of the crop in the division. Once they get gelled, I mean, once, once they get gelled, you have Chase, you have Higgins, you got Mixon, who I don't love, but he's serviceable back. And Burrow's one of the best. Defense, I do have some questions about, but you got some players, Hendrickson, Hubbard. Look for the Bengals to potentially, like I said, even lose in week two to the Ravens. But after that, look for them to go on a run. That's kind of what they do. I'm not overreacting about some of these instances in week one. Number five. Of the three rookie quarterbacks that started uh, on Sunday, Bryce Young looked the least poised by far. He had two bad interceptions. Just complete offensive ineptitude all day against a, a subpar Falcons defense. Okay, Anthony Richardson looked dangerous, rushing and passing. He looked like a big, strong, Cam Newton-esque athlete. Okay, and C.J. Stroud threw the ball almost 50 times and didn't turn it over. And Bryce Young had two two interceptions and a fumble he almost lost against a pretty bad defense. Let's read his line here. Bryce Young, 20 of 38, 146, one touchdown, two interceptions. You expect that from all the quarterbacks, and yet he was the one, number one overall pick, that that played the worst. And I'm not saying that it's going to be a consistent theme, but I did want to point out because Anthony Richardson, for all his misgivings and all his lack of experience, looked like a damn athlete, as we all knew he was. C.J. Stroud, who... People had questions about more so than Richardson or Young. They let him rip the ball 45 times. Yeah, he didn't throw a touchdown. He, He didn't turn it over either against a pretty good Ravens defense. Welcome to the league for these guys. They all showed glimpses of greatness, but Bryce Young by far looked the worst. Number six. When we talk about the best pass rushers in the league, best defensive players really, I think the three names that come to mind immediately are Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons, and TJ Watt. All had all had uh, great games in their first of the year. TJ Watt, notably three sacks, a forced fumble, a recovery. I mean, dominated. One of the bright, one of the few bright spots for the Steelers. But let's not forget about Miles Garrett. His numbers aren't going to jump off the page the same way T.J. Watts did, but he made a crucial play, sacking Joe Burrow in a crucial moment, and he's been doing this for eight years. He's been a guy I think we forget about because you always have the new up-and-coming player. You got the Bosa's that came in four years ago. You got Parsons that came in three. T.J. Watt is a veteran, but he's newer than Garrett. Let's not forget about this man who is the heart and soul of that Cleveland defense, has been there, I believe this is his eighth year now. And man, does he just make plays, maybe don't doesn't have the stats of a Bosa or a Watt, but goodness gracious, he has uh, the effectiveness of those two guys. He definitely inserts himself in the game in the most important times. In the most crucial times. And he has and he makes his presence felt for sure in the biggest moments. Number seven. Let's talk about Justin Herbert and the Chargers, because I'm a huge fan of this man. And a huge fan of this team. New offensive coordinator. Kellen Moore comes over there. But the same old 
dink and dunk passing offense. Okay. And now I'm beginning to think it's on Justin Herbert a little bit because we wanted to blame Joe Lombardi. We wanted to blame Brandon Staley. Okay. But we were sure when Kellen Moore came over, the offense would look completely different. Take some shots down the field. Keenan Allen, Quinton Johnston, Mike Williams. You got Eckler. Josh Palmer. I mean, that's a great four guys receiving plus Eckler. Not only did he throw underneath stuff most of the game to those guys, the receivers, but he didn't throw it to Eckler. So do we blame Kellen Moore? I don't know. I'd like to see a little bit more from him before I blame him. But at some point, Justin Herbert has the rock in his hand. He takes that snap. He has the decision if he wants to air it out downfield. You have a cannon of an arm, Justin. Or yeah, Justin, you have a cannon of an arm. You need to start using it. One of my favorite players, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But you got to let it rip, man. You got to let it rip. If you're not going to, who is? What a game as we had. We had that as one of the best games of the week, uh, Miami and the Chargers, and it definitely lived up to expectations. But once again, in clutch time, Herbert did not deliver. Took a bunch of sacks late. No turnovers, but some costly plays, some boneheaded mental decisions. Justin, I love you, man. Got to get that straightened out. Got to take some chances. Got to gel with your new offensive coordinator and your new pieces on offense. Number eight. Week one, two of the most exciting players I got to watch in week one were rookie running backs taken in the top 12 of the NFL draft. And you don't take running backs that high anymore. We've been told. We've been told they've been devalued. We've seen how they've been devalued with their contracts, with their negotiations, with the one year, the two year, the sub 10 mil. Okay, but two of the best players I got to watch this weekend were Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson. Man, Jameer Gibbs, good luck taking that guy down in the open field. That dude's a monster. What a tank, okay? He's not built like Derrick Henry, but he certainly runs like him. Okay, Bijan can catch it, can line up in the slot, can line up out wide. You can give it to him in between the center and the guard. You can give it to him off tackle. You can run screens. You could toss it. He could probably throw the ball too. He could probably play defense. I mean, what an all-purpose back that guy is. And in a world and in an era where we devalue this position, just remember, these are two of the most explosive players in the NFL and they will be for some time, at least for their rookie contracts. We'll see how electric they are once they want that extension. But for now, goodness, I love watching those guys. Number nine. What happened to Josh Allen? I don't want to overreact. Okay. I'm going to tell myself don't overreact, but I don't think I am overreacting with this question of what happened to Josh Allen because this has been a perpetual slide downward for two years ever since he lost Brian Dable. It's not a one-game thing. His mechanics are worse. His decision-making is worse. His body is not going to hold up forever. He can't continue to jump over guys and run through guys. It's not going to work. In a divisional game where the other team is demoralized because they just lost their starting quarterback... You cannot turn the ball over four times and lose that football game. You can't, especially as a favorite. You cannot do that. Josh Allen needed to win that game for his team. And really, all he needed to do was not lose it. He doesn't turn it over four times. The Jets don't win that game. But he kept giving them opportunities, kept giving them chances. And Josh Allen, I'm sorry, has regressed since Brian Dable left. Brian Dable is one of those guys that, that can turn, you know, chicken crap into chicken salad. I'm not saying Josh Allen is, is in the chicken crap category, 
But that chicken salad's getting a little old, a little stale. You know, that mayonnaise doesn't doesn't last forever, especially in the hot sun. And the pressure may be on, and the seat may be a little hot for Josh and company. Got the bag a couple years ago, making a lot of money. You can't turn the ball over four times as a favorite in the divisional game when the other team had just lost their star quarterback. Can't do it. You got to win that one. That's on Josh Allen for sure. Number 10. And number nine kind of jumps right into number 10 because across the league, it was just an awful week of offensive play, specifically quarterbacks. Let's get into some numbers. Only six quarterbacks passed for over 250 yards. Only six guys went over 250. That's kind of crazy. Only 10 guys had multiple touchdown passes. And only 11 guys escaped week one without a turnover. This is some bad offensive play. Chalk that one up to most of these guys not even seeing the field in the preseason. I think I think that's part of it. The defense always seems ahead in September. I think that gap has widened in the last four or five years. Maybe we see the trend start to break. Start The gap starts to close if, if teams potentially realize that, man, we got to play these guys. We got to get them some sort of in-game pads experience. Eagles look bad. Cincinnati. Buffalo. Jets with an asterisk. Dallas offensively didn't look great. KC. Jacksonville turned it on, but there was moments when they didn't look great. You know, there's a there's a plethora of teams that we expect to come out of the gates firing, and they did not. Some of them won, some of them lost, but mostly in week one, the offense was just not electric, not explosive, not dynamic, inefficient, and downright ugly. That is Ben's first and 10. Only me treading that water, baby. Treading the water. We're trying to stay afloat. Don't have Buck here. Buck, we miss you, bud. We're going to keep right on rolling, though. We're going to get into our top five for week one. We're going to go top five surprises. Okay? What I was surprised about most, the five things I was surprised about most within week one, starting at number five, the Bucks' defense is still here. That's that's something I was surprised about. Look, Levante David, still there. Devin White, still there. Shaq Barrett, still there. Winfield Jr., still there. Evita Vea in the middle of the line, still there. Okay? That defense has some dudes still. We don't like Baker. We don't love the offensive pieces anymore. They're getting older. They're getting slower. But that defense had other ideas against Minnesota. I had Minnesota winning easily that game. But the Bucs didn't. The Bucs handled the Vikings most of that game. Kirk Cousins, it looked like he was playing in a primetime game. It looked like what I hope he looks like tonight, to be quite honest. Justin, Je- Justin Jefferson got his. Of course he's going to get his. But overall, that Bucks team... The team itself, maybe not great. I had them vying for a number one spot potentially, and that's still on the table. I'm not I'm not saying that this one win against the Vikings automatically puts them into playoff contention in that division, but that defense is still around, and that's something I did not take into account. And the way they put it on the Vikings kind of put a vice grip on that offense and did not let go. Sands Justin Jefferson's yards, but he didn't score. And the way they vice script everyone else, that was a wake up call for me. That yeah, we're in a transition on offense. Yeah, we got some contract issues. We got some older players. A defensive head coach that's on the hot seat, but we as a defensive unit still got it, and you better respect us. That's my number five surprise. Let's get to number four. 
And I was truly surprised at the Sunday night football game. Brian Dable just did not have his team ready to play, ready to compete. At home in the division, you get rolled 40 to zip? Come on. Come on, you won coach of the year last year. I'm sorry, Dallas may be a solid squad. They are not that good. They are not 40 to zip good. Dak Prescott had a below average game and Dallas won 40 nothing. Think about that for a second. Sure, good pieces on the defensive side, sure. But goodness gracious, can you put up some type of fight? Show some type of resilience? Have some type of answer? You have nothing? You have nothing at home in the Meadowlands? Dallas coming in, blue jerseys, you have nothing? I I can't explain that one, Brian Dable. We talk about him a lot as one of the elite offensive minds and great coaches in the NFL. I'm truly surprised and shocked at how poorly, how poorly managed his team was coming into week one. They must have been because they were the opposite of ready. That was a shellacking from the word go. Multiple defensive scores. Daniel Jones looked lost. Saquon looked uninterested. The receivers looked unimpressive. And Dable looked, to be honest, looked like he had seen a deer in the headlights. And, and he was not ready for the moment. Truly shocked. But... There are three three things that happened that are even more surprising than that. Number three, I had this team blowing out the Rams, and instead Seattle was manhandled by that Rams team, which I am super surprised about. Look, Geno Smith, comeback player of the year. Pete Carroll is an elite head coach. Uh, Rams have, what, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 new starters on their team, Cooper Cup's out for a month. You know, you're, you're throwing to, I mean, at this point for the Rams, for after week one, they have two receivers in the top five in receiving. Two receivers in the top five in receiving yards after week one. Their names are 2-2 Atwell and Puka Nakua. Okay? And Seattle's defense couldn't hang. It's not, it's not the Legion of Boom anymore, but goodness, it couldn't stop 2-2 and Puka? Your three-headed receiving monster couldn't do anything against the Rams' young secondary? Your, your good offensive line couldn't do anything against the Rams' one defensive lineman? Now, I get it. It's a Hall of Famer on the line in Aaron Donald, but could you maybe double-team him? I mean, there's no one else. There's no one else. I'm truly shocked that Seattle was manhandled like that by the Rams. And the way I'm looking at Pete Carroll as an elite coach, like I said earlier, I have to start looking at McVay in that same vein. What a coaching performance from McVay. But truly surprised at the horrific coaching performance, if I could say that, from Pete Carroll. Seattle at home in a smash spot against an unproven defense. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf. Kenneth Walker. Zach Charbonnet. Geno Smith. Solid O-line. Bobby Wagner's back on the defensive middle. You got dudes all over the field. You got a Hall of Fame head coach at the college and professional level. And you lose like that? That's surprising. That That's surprising and, and downright pathetic. 
downright pathetic. Number two, I am all my life, all my 30 years almost of existence on this earth. There were a couple of constants, right? A couple of sure things, okay? Death, right? Taxes, yeah, and the lions are going to blow it late, right? <laughs> week one, game one, right after we recorded last week's episode. Detroit Lions go into Arrowhead, get a lead late, and they don't blow it. And that is one of my top surprises of the week. Man, golf looked poised. He looked confident. St. Brown looks like a star. Jameer Gibbs looks like a steal at number 12. Their offensive line looks solid. Their defense looks impressive and hungry. And yeah, a couple of drops late really hurt the Chiefs. No Travis Kelsey Hall of Fame tight end really hurt the Chiefs. I get it. Detroit probably should have lost that game, but they didn't. And my entire lifetime before that, they would have. Have we turned a a corner with the Lions? Dan Campbell has them believing. Now they get a home game against Seattle. That Stadium is going to be rocking. Sold out their season tickets. Got a wait list for them for the first time ever. That stadium will be rocking. The Lions finally weren't the Lions. And I got to be honest with you. That was one of the most surprising things of the week. But the number one most surprising thing for me of the week. And Buck... This one's for you, okay? I'm sorry you're not here to hear that, not here to to witness this in person, but I'm just gonna come right out and say it. Brock Purdy is that dude coming off a UCL, Tommy John surgery, major injury, throwing arm, going into Acrisure Stadium, Pittsburgh. You got the vaunted TJ Watt. Devin Bush, Minka in the back end. Patrick Peterson talking mess to you. Mike Tomlin as a home dog. One of the best coaches ever in that spot. Kyle Shanahan, say what you will, struggles in big games. All the pressure in the world. People have tape on you now, okay? All those things, all those factors, all those variables, and you come out there and make every throw. You have a swagger about you that is unrivaled. You scramble when you need to. Find Brandon Ayuk for multiple scores. Find Debo. Find Kittle. Find McCaffrey. Not only are you finding these guys, these guys are looking to you as the leader of the football team. Do you shrink? No. No, no, you rise to the occasion. 10 a.m. body clock game. Traveled across the country for a 1 p.m. game in Pittsburgh. Raucous Stadium. High High expectations for that team as well. And you come out there and make a damn statement. Good on you, Brock Purdy. Good on you, kid. I love to see that. I love to see that. Remember, that was his ninth career start. Excuse me, ninth career start. Which is eight more than Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, and CJ Stroud. Eight more starts than those guys. But he looks light years better than all of them. Yes, a little bit more experience, got the playoff experience, all of that. But man, this kid looks legit. And I'll be the first one to say it. I may have to get a little salt and pepper, have to go find some seasonings, 
and and throw it all over my words and, and mix it all in because I may have to eat those words. Brock Purdy, congrats, brother. That was uh, a damn good performance. You get a Los Angeles Rams team in week two. I don't see any reason why you should not continue to roll against that team. My number one surprise of the week, Brock Purdy. He's that guy. Coming off an injury. All the pressure in the world. Cool, calm, and collected. San Fran, statement win early on. Brock Purdy at the head of that statement. Those are my top surprises for week one. Let's get in to some fantasy. We'll we'll do, we're going to start with single game, okay, for tonight's Thursday night matchup. Vikings at Eagles. We'll go with that first. And then we'll get into some plays for the main slate come Sunday. So tonight, you know, I'm a cash guy. I play my cash games. Look for the chalk, okay? I'm not getting too crazy here with this build. Okay, and Buck and I discussed this a little bit, and I actually took his advice on some things. So even though he's not here with us on the show, he's here with us in spirit. We got we got a couple of his his inputs here in this line. And I really like this line. I think I'm gonna go pretty heavy on it tonight. Okay. Single game, cash line, Vikings at Eagles, MVP, you gotta go Jalen Hurts. At 17.5, large price tag, but you got to go. That's going to be the chalk MVP guy. Uh, and you're, that's just what you have to do. You have to put Jalen Hurts at the top spot. Uh, number two, Justin Jefferson, right? You're going to have to have him in your line as well. So Hurts MVP, Justin Jefferson, I mean, I don't care if he puts up a dud. You got to have him in there. Because if he puts up a monster game that he's capable of and you don't have him, you're screwed. So once you get those two guys in there, that's the lion's share of your salary already. That's well over 50% of your salary already. Now you got to find value. So I believe the top value guy tonight will be the starting running back for the Eagles. All signs point to DeAndre Swift taking those reins. Kenny Gainwell's out. He had most of the work in week one. I'm going to go Swift at 8,500 as a must play. Probably chalk as well. Uh, so that leaves you with 18000 for two guys. Now, originally, I had TJ Hawkinson at ten grand, and then I was kind of scrambling for that last player, 8000 or under. And I do like Hawkinson because Reed Blankenship's out for the Eagles' safety. N'Kobe Dean's out, linebacker. James Bradbury's out, corner. I mean, the defense already is depleted. So I think up the middle... Tight end, Hunter Henry unloaded on the Eagles in week one. I think Hawkinson's better than Hunter Henry. Now, he has a quarterback throwing to him that's bad in prime time. So we're going to go away from him maybe for that reason alone. And not, not that reason alone, but that's a big reason in my mind that I'm okay with going away from him. And really, after that, you had to find someone to 8,000 and... I'm looking and I just can't find anybody 8,000 or less that I like. You got the Vikings D at 8,000, Osborne 7,000, but I do but do you really want three pass catchers for the Vikings? That's a bit much in my opinion. Boston Scott, Rashad Penny, a couple running backs for the Eagles, 7,500 7, and 7,000 respectively. I don't know. I think Swift gets most of the work. Who knows? what Scott and Penny do. I'm not banking on that for my cash line. So we're going to go Hertz, Jefferson, Swift as must plays. And then with the final two spots, we're going to just go our two kickers. And this was Buck's idea. We're going to go Jake Elliott and Greg Joseph. That fits in rather nicely. Got $500 left over. And he's right in his thinking that, you know, in cash games, the kicker is valuable. 9,000, 8,500, those price tags for, for potentially 10 points, that's a value. And I don't love anyone, I, I think it'd be a high scoring game. I don't love anyone else in that price range as much as I 
love the kickers. And Jake Elliott just put up a monster line against the Patriots. No reason to believe he'll he'll you know miss kicks. I mean, he might not get as many opportunities. They might score some touchdowns this time. But no reason to believe he's going to miss anything. He's been a solid kicker for years. Greg Joseph, you know, these are two good offenses playing against two banged up defenses right now. And uh, even if touchdowns aren't scored, I think ball movement will be a plenty. I think the kickers should each do fairly well. Give me Hertz, Jefferson, Swift, Elliott, Zo- Joseph as my cash line for tonight's game. Vikings at Eagles. Let's get into Sunday's main slate. And I think what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and give just the best cash plays. I'm not going to do a full lineup, but I'll give you my favorite cash plays. Just, just barely looking at it. You know, I haven't dove, I haven't dove into it yet, but some of these guys, I'm looking at some of these prices and, and what their value is to the team. And so I'm going to give just first look firsthand, my favorite plays uh, at each each position. So we'll start at 7,800 quarterback facing the Chiefs at home. Give me Trevor Lawrence. Okay, he had over 20 points against the Colts. Somewhat sloppy game. First first reps with Ridley. Getting ironing out the kinks. You know, division matchup. Look for him to air it out against the Chiefs. They narrowly lost the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, this should be a high-scoring game. The Chiefs are pissed off. The Jags are rolling and, and have high expectations. Look for this to be a high-scoring game. Under 8,000, Trevor Lawrence could be a steal at quarterback. Look for three touchdowns. One of them to another player we'll discuss here down the road. Number two for the quarterback position at 7,600. Going into Cincinnati, low price for Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's never under 8,000. And yeah, I get it. He looks somewhat sloppy. You don't got to tell me again. He looks somewhat sloppy, sure. But as I said, new offensive coordinator, new pieces on the outside, no Mark Andrews. J.K. Dobbins is hurt midway through the second quarter. D'Amico Ryan's stingy Houston defense. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of explainable reasons why he struggled. In a division game against Cincinnati, who's not a great defense, look for a big, big game from Lamar. More running, I would assume. A little more decisive with the football, I would assume. Less garbage time stats, less bad weather, I would assume. 7600 that's like mid that's like mid tier 2 type quarterback price for an elite athlete at the position who has shown he can do it for years I'm comfortable with either one of those guys probably leaning toward Trevor but I'm comfortable with either one of them give me Lamar at 7600 let's give you three running backs let's go Christian McCaffrey 9500 at the Rams now, McCaffrey, 9500 huge price tag, but I think he reinserted himself last week, and we should have all known this. He never left. He didn't go anywhere, but he reminded everybody, myself included, that he is a beast, and he is the premier running back in the NFL in terms of fantasy. Has been for years. Um, 9500 is a big price tag, but he's well worth it. He put up 24 last week. Facing a pretty bad Rams defense who's coming off the win against Seattle, coming off a high. Now reality sets in. You got San Fran, who's historically pummeled you in the last five years. I see a a wide margin of victory for the 49ers. I see McCaffrey early and often touching the ball. Uh, Maybe not in the second half as much, but he'll do all his work in the first half. Give me two touchdowns from McCaffrey before halftime, 9,500. And then the the two other running backs are guys I just talked about in my first and 10. Bijan Robinson, 
8,100 versus the Packers at home. Jameer Gibbs, 5,800 at home against the Seahawks. 5,800 for a feature back in a potent offense against a bad defense. That is going to be chalkity chalk. Okay? 5,800. Jameer Gibbs will be on everybody's board. You better have him too. B. John Robinson may not. He was last week. Went up only 300. But his potential skyrocketed. I like like that he didn't go up much in price. Only 300 from last week. Facing Green Bay. Not great in the middle of the field. He should get some work in the slot on the outside. He'll, he'll, He'll run it up the middle. Do it all back. Both of those guys are in smash spots. Both of them are the heart and soul of their offenses, respectively. Uh, Bijan and Jameer Gibbs are good options. McCaffrey's the high-end guy. Let's go to receiver. Calvin Ridley. Let's pair him with Trevor Lawrence if you're going to play play Lawrence. Calvin Ridley, 8,300 versus KC. Um, man, what a, what a debut in Jacksonville. I mean, he looked like the Calvin Ridley from 2021 that we all knew. I'm sorry, 2020, excuse me. That we all knew was an all-pro and a difference maker in that Falcons offense. In a better situation now with the Jaguars, got Doug Peterson, offensive coach, Trevor Lawrence, generational talent. This could be a match made in heaven. Dividends are paying off early. Calvin Ridley in another great spot. Who's going to cover him for the Chiefs? I don't know. But I know Amon Ra St. Brown ate in their first matchup, and Ridley should eat in this one as well. Little pricey. I'm fine with that. I think he he definitely has enough value to cover that price points. Speaking of Amon Ra St. Brown, let's go right down to him at 8,100 against the Seahawks. I have no reason to believe they have anyone that can cover him. Okay, the defense I was talking so highly about, they haven't shown me they can they could cover Atwell or Nakua. And you're going to try to cover St. Brown? We don't need to talk about him too much more. I mean, he's the top receiver in one of the top offenses. Going home. High expectations game, home opener for the Lions. Look for him to eat in this one. I'm going to stay right on the Zay Flowers train at 6,600. Had him crushing it last week, and we were right on the money with that. Going into Cincinnati, where is Lamar going to throw it to? Well, if week one's any indication, he's throwing it to Zay Flowers, more so than anyone else on that team. Now, if Mark Andrews comes back, that may hurt him a bit. He may not be in my line. Not sure. We'll see how how the the price points fall and, and where the value lies. Still got a couple days till we have to iron all that out. But uh, I mean, early on, looks like just a dynamic weapon for Lamar. Can he got some carries like we expected? Got a ton of catches, more than we expected. Tied, excuse me, not tied. He was the lead. He led the team handedly in targets. No Andrews. Andrews comes back. That may change, but that man was one of the few bright spots on offense in week one for the Ravens. At 6,200, give me Nico Collins. Put up 11 fantasy points against uh, the Ravens. And I think he's the number one number one receiver now. That A big part of that is volume. CJ Stroud threw it 45 times, and ideally, I'm pretty sure Houston doesn't want Stroud throwing it 45 times. But if they get into places where they have to come from behind, they're probably going to be playing from behind a lot. Look for Nico Collins playing at home against Indianapolis division game. Look for him to cover that $6,200 price point with some solid value. You don't need a ton at that price point. Another 10 points should do it. And I think that's very possible. I like him to start the season. Tight end real quick. We'll go Evan Ingram, 6,000 and Luke Musgrave, 5,000. Ingram, of course, Jags offense looks potent playing KC. Not a great defense. That should be a high-scoring game. Uh, Luke Musgrave, top tight end. Only 5,000 starting tight end for the Packers. Jordan Love looked pretty impressive. We haven't even discussed him and and probably won't get to him much here. Uh, But he did look impressive. 
Let's just say that. Against the Bears, divisional game, not a great defense, but did make a lot of throws. Musgrave was one of the beneficiaries of those throws. Playing Atlanta, another bad defense. With some confidence, I think Jordan Love could find Musgrave a number of times. And uh, at 5,000, you don't need much. Don't need much. He may be in the line. We'll see how it falls. I'll give two defenses real quick. Dallas's defense, number four. Uh, sorry, 4500 That's a high price point for a defense. I usually like to punt that that defense. But playing the Jets, no Aaron Rodgers. You have Zach Wilson in there. They should feast. They should feast. They're not going to score you 35 again. But goodness, if they don't get you 15, I'd be surprised. That offensive line is bad. They should tee off on him. He should make mistakes, throw the ball to one of the defenders. Trayvon Diggs takes it to the crib. You know, it... A lot of scenarios, their return game, I mean, who, who knows what could happen, but that is an elite play. And then Houston's D against Indy, uh, only 3,400 if you want to punt. That's a divisional game. Anthony Richardson is looking good, but he's young, could make mistakes. D'Amico Ryans is a good defensive coach, had his team ready against the Ravens. I'm sure they could be ready against the Colts. That is uh, my top cash plays. Build, you can build a solid team with some of those guys for sure. Take a look at it. You want to identify the chalk, as I always say, but it's not. It's easier said than done sometimes. But plug in some of those plays. You'll be you'll be liking your chances in cash. And with about three minutes left to go for my brother, let's get into Ben's version of Bucks bets. And I got, a, I got a fun one for you here. So we're going to go with a three-leg parlay. Okay? Three-leg parlay. I'm taking two dogs and one favorite uh, for week two. So against the spread, give me Jacksonville plus three and a half. This is a field goal game at worst for Jacksonville. May not win, but they're not losing by more than three. I refuse to believe that. You, you were Vegas has given us the hook right now at three and a half. Take Jacksonville to cover that. I think it's a field goal game. Either way, uh, I'm not taking them to win, but I will take them to cover that three and a half. You get the hook, you got to take it in this spot. Jacksonville looks poised. Casey's reeling a bit. If Kelsey doesn't play, lock it in now. And if he doesn't play, goodness, that looks like a gift of a value. Um, another dog. And I had him last week, and I failed miserably at this. But give me Pittsburgh, my, or plus two and a half at home again against Cleveland. Monday Night Football. Cleveland's coming off the high, coming off a dominant win against Cincinnati. Pittsburgh's pissed off, coming off an embarrassing loss at home. You don't think they want to get a dub in the division at home on Monday Night Football against their rival Cleveland Browns? Look for Tomlin. Tomlin, as a as a home dog, is, a, we said it, one of the best coaches ever. And he failed last week. Won't do it two weeks in a row. Give me Pittsburgh to not only cover, but win outright against the Browns. Plus two and a half for Pittsburgh. Don't know why they are not favored in this game. I think Vegas is overreacting to Cleveland's win against the Bengals. I'm not buying it. Give me a picket to, Pitts, picket to Pickens for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh wins that one at home, Monday Night Football, Akersher Stadium against the Browns. And I'm going to take the favor here. San Fran at minus seven against the Rams. They're they're in Los Angeles, right? But that's still a home game for San Francisco. They get more fans than the Rams do. And they will have more fans than the Rams do. That's going to be a home game for those guys. They just came off a dominant win. Rams just came off a a win. They're on a high. Look for them to be beaten down by this offense, by this defense. As good as McVay is, I don't think he has something for the San Francisco team, especially McCaffrey and the rest of those offensive pieces. Brock Purdy looks to be damn good so far, as I said. San Fran minus seven. Give me San Fran to cover that. Jacksonville, field goal game, plus three and a half. San Fran minus seven against the spread, taking them to cover. Pittsburgh taking them to cover and win outright, outright plus two and a half. That is Buck's bets. Thanks for listening in. This has been the ESA with Buck 
אין בעיה.